Hey, Dugan, how you doing, brother? What is up? Not much, my friend. How's your day going so far? Uh, I'm fucking wore out. How about you? Uh, a little bit stressed, a little bit of this, that, and then chasing this uh, tree rat that keeps on trying to eat my bird seed. Other than that, uh, yeah, a little bit tired. Shit, I'm going to have to move. I'm getting low signal. Oh, let's see. Try this chair. Um, hey, is this... Who are, who are we speaking with here? Uh, this is Matthew King. Would you like a full introduction or just my name? Uh, no, yeah, a little introduction would be nice. Um, we, we like your work. Um, definitely want to talk uh, about that. All right. Uh, well, uh, I guess in chronological order, I was uh, in the Marine Corps and the infantry uh, a while back, about a decade ago. Uh, combat vet went to Afghanistan. Uh, did some contracting overseas for a little while. Just graduated college. Got my indoctrination there. Uh, and I'd like to get into documentary filmmaking, especially uh, in terms of, uh, well, conflict, thinking outside the box. Uh, a lot of the stuff you guys like to talk about. And, of course, I could go into the film, but we could save that for later if you'd like. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, basically, the film, or I'm just going to give a little synopsis, so whenever we catch back up with it later. Um, it is on a uh, Mexican town or a city that broke away from the cartels and the government and found their own independence and have been building up their identity and uh, independence from there. Uh, am I correct with uh, what I'm saying? Cheran. Matt? No, we dropped, we dropped the gas. Oh, oh no. I'm sorry. I think uh, we kicked. We... Oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, yeah. Matt, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. All right. I wonder if it's because I turned my screen off. Let's, yeah, I'll, I won't touch it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it gets kind of iffy. Yeah, the, it's not the Honda Civic of uh, we, uh, webcast. I'll tell you that right now. It's more like uh, you know, a Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that synopsis is accurate. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more to the story. I could go into a little more detail, uh, and I would love to. But yeah, that's that's the short and sweet. All right. Um, I would like to know how 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 did you get into uh, like how how did that uh, come about for you to get into? Was that were you making uh, documentaries before that? No, no. So, so that was actually a, a student film, uh, just, you know, for a, a filmmaking class. So I, I don't really have a formal education in filmmaking. I'm, I'm just a journalism major. Uh, but you know, over the years I've followed, and oh, in fact, let me backtrack a little bit. Immediately post Marine Corps, I fell into sort of uh, anarchist ideology or hardcore libertarian, you might say. Uh, so I began following these channels on YouTube and, and, and Twitter and whatnot. Uh, and I actually got the idea from another filmmaker, and I, I, Chris something, I think. Uh, I don't know that his film was ever uh, published. Uh, and that's when I learned the identity of a local in the area uh, down there in Mexico. And I contacted him through... Um, Oh gosh, what's his name? The Anarchist guy, uh, Jeff Berwick. Yeah, so I contacted uh, the guy you see in the film in homage to Charan, 
Uh, uh-huh. I just flew down there with what equipment that I had, and we, you know, we had about a week, and we just made it happen. Heck yeah, man! Wow, plugged away at it real, real quick. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That was a that was a great uh, short film documentary. Uh, I was impressed. Much appreciated. I'm not gonna lie. What was, it? What was, was the it? actual time time frame? Like, what when was that taking place? Like, in the, like, what were you actually filming there? Uh, I gotta turn down my notification sound. Sorry about that. I don't know if you guys could hear that. There we go. Can you still hear me? No, I didn't, yep. I didn't hear it. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, October of last year, being 2019. Uh, and, and of course, the, the the upheaval in Chiron that was uh, that occurred in 2011. So the dust had settled long before I got there. And how are they? Are you keeping up with that? Like uh, in terms of uh, like this year, like of late, what the uh, like kind of what their what their uh, status is then? Uh, no, no, I, I've been so damn busy trying not to, uh, you know, trying to graduate and just busy being poor as poor as dirt. So. Sure. Sure. But to Um, your knowledge, from their um, 2011 to today, they're still, you know, at least to your knowledge, they're still currently free. Yeah. So the the current president, he this okay, this helped them a lot, and this is maybe a a good segue into into that subject. Uh, The president in Mexico basically gave protection to all indigenous people. and for, for those who, who haven't seen the film yet, uh, Charan is about an hour and a half uh, west of the capital city of Michoacan, uh, in, like central western Mexico. They're very they're geographically isolated. Uh, the roads are a little rough to get up there. Um, so, so they've got a decent setup, but they're not invulnerable. I mean, a cartel could just roll through there anytime if they wanted to. Um, so if, if, if we wanted to replicate their model of, of, of autonomy or self-determination in the United States, uh, it wouldn't quite be the same. You can't just say, we, <laughs> we want protection. We're going to take this federal land and build a, a commune or something. It's, it, it wouldn't work the same way here. Not according to Chaz and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, just claim to be left wing and then let you keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I would like to go back no, to Chiron and, and make uh, make a proper film, but you know that requires money and time. Time requires money, so yeah. Yep. No, what you did was uh, was beautiful, man. Uh, you got to see the people. You got to see you know the culture and how they've um, you know the people in the town are speaking the uh, traditional dialect again. Mm-hmm. Um, Self governing. What is it? Twenty twenty one. Uh, different uh, little city Councils. states in that area mm-hmm. councils and then they bring the elders in and they vote the elders to be uh, the the people that end up governing what's going on yes yeah the elders uh, I, I want to say there's like 12 elders uh, yeah they're essentially appointed to that position um, I, I, it seems that they don't have much of a choice but yeah it's it's about as um, organic or as as uh, holistic or as grassroots as you can get you know they the, the neighborhood your immediate neighbors you just sit around a bonfire and hash out the issues with the community and you just you know trickle that up you might say to the elders and everything gets worked out and there's no taxes there's no police uh, they do have a security force but there's nothing really to enforce per se you just take care of your neighbors you have a real community 
Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I was glad that you mentioned like the, the cartels could just roll through there anytime because it's like uh, it's so hard to tell with uh, people like ever, everywhere in the world. I mean, like in the United States, and people think we're here, you know. So it's like it's so difficult to tell from a uh, you know like how like how you almost have to do like an engineering analysis of like how people uh, cooperate together. To, to like make a determination and you gotta have a standard really. I mean, because it starts to get confusing, right? Because it's like the emotional drive of, uh, you know, wanting to claim that like you're free or whatever is, is totally different. Really being free and it requires a uh, definition almost is what I'm kind of thinking about is, um, you know, I'm saying like, how would you know, how would you know somebody's really free? I think it's like, I mean, Doug, I think, you're, fade, I think, you're fading out a little bit. You're a little bit quiet on the audio. Yeah. Okay, let me, uh, how, how is this? Is it just like a mic issue? Am I better now? Am I yeah, louder now? Yeah, yeah it's way better. Okay, I just had. Sorry about that. I have my mic below my beard. Okay, so the uh, <laughs> so so what what I was saying is that you know uh, it seems almost like elusive the idea of uh, liberty and freedom, and and it becomes difficult to catch, you know, a grasp hold of them and identify what it really is. Like when you, I mean, there, there's a there's a a warm and fuzzy liberty you know and freedom mm-hmm. but it's uh when you when you try to step on it and, and, and like pin it down and go like what what is this like what is this thing this liberty it require it really requires a uh a definition that's kind of what i was thinking here and i i think i think i'm gonna say i mean i mean arms are like like if, if you're bearing arms then that's a pretty good sign that you're free at least in in the immediacy right and then i think the other things are uh, like property like if you don't have a uh, like a uh, political or economic uh you know engine that is uh, constantly attempting to you know transfer your property away that would be another one and uh i'm not sure what else uh what would you guys how would you guys define what liberty looks like that's a that's a hard one i would think uh liberty would be seeing people uh with their independence and basically uh their their what is it uh self-motivated individuals being able to take care of of themselves and the people around them with what they have on hand um I mean, I we're just straight out vast planes of existence uh, with nobody telling you what to do. I mean, that it's a hard one to pin down. Wow, I, I, that's that's a good way to explain it. I personally, I would my first thought is, you know, zero encroachments, right? Like, like I guess kind of in a negative light, and then that kind of made me think of it differently. Like, not only to you know to not um overstep but to nourish and to support and to provide growth regardless of you know nourish the people right so uh, um that is that is a challenging thing to uh to identify uh i would chime in uh more simply it's it's simply the the freedom to choose uh to act yeah. and go about your life without force and coercion um, and, and if I may, the, the people in Sharan, they're called uh, the Puri Pecha. Uh, I don't know the exact translation of that. I, I think it's in their native tongue, uh, Tarasco. Uh, 
they they simply reverted back to their their natural state of being or self governance governance if you will um, you know they have a history of resisting empires and colonization and at some point of course they gave way to uh, the Mexican government and eventually gave way to cartels but they just went back to the way it used to be now the sad part about this and the sad reality is at any time. Um, never mind the cartels, at any time the federal government in Mexico could step in and say, well, we give you permission to self-govern, to be autonomous, to be left alone, but now we're, take, we're, we're withdrawing that permission. So, um, you know, about what, what Dugan, what you said, um, bearing arms, that is the thing, the fundamental thing that I hope most of your audience knows is, is, is that which secures liberty, it guarantees it. Of course, yeah, of course, of course, uh bearing bearing the arms which is which is important to separate from uh you know keeping arms so like keeping arms would be like you you have them but that could be technically defined under like uh i don't know like you know new zealand gun law or something you know like where you keep it in a storage locker they could say that that's still keeping like bearing where you're able to have it on your person and it's ready to you know you got this this is a hot kill stick that is hanging off of your body that is like a uh, or, or equivalent or whatever. I think that's a really important distinction. I think you said you said something that that I should have put in there and I didn't even think about it. And it's probably paramount. And that is the uh, you said the ability to choose. And I, I I'd like to kind of twist on that a little bit and say mm-hmm. add or add to it rather and say uh, this is uh, it's the ability to not choose also. Like it's the ability because because like in the United States, for instance, and in uh, like Europe or uh, pretty much any, uh, you know, submitted, uh, submitted uh, nation here in uh, modernity, they're really led, uh, led by the nose through having synthetic choices presented and then losing the ability to understand that they're not making a choice. Like they're, they're, or they're able to make a choice, but the choices are uh, created for them and they have to make a choice, you know, like they have mm-hmm. to choose one or the other and there's no, there's no option to not choose them. And so thereby, if you have both of the choices that you, uh, you know, mandate that you don't have a choice. So it's like equally important to be able to say, no, you know, like to have, to be able to not make it, to have a freedom from choice, right? Freedom yeah. of choice and freedom from choice. Yes. Uh, um, So in in philosophical terms, you know, we're talking uh, positive rights versus negative rights, Uh, uh, a right to something as opposed to a right from something and be maybe a more eloquent way of putting that. Yeah, like like it's subtle. It's a subtle thing. And the best way to encapsulate it is just to look at like the situation of a modern American. Most Americans, whether they be uh, like uh, whatever they consider themselves, I'm just going to use the obvious ones like a liberal and a conservative. You know, unfortunately, the the uh, the liberal and conservative both feel like they have freedom, and the reason why is because they both feel like they have a choice. But it never crosses their mind for a moment that they can't not choose. Like there is no, you know, there is no opting out. There is no. Uh, you know, the, the government is there instead of being uh, at the pleasure of the people. It's like the people are there at the pleasure of the, of the state function. You know? The people the people are simply there as cogs to uh, propel this 
beast, you know, and that's, that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of what I really mean by freedom from choice, you know, because if they didn't have, uh, you know, if, if they had the ability to opt out and if people saw that, they're like, wow, that's great. Then the whole thing would just collapse, you know? And so it's, it's obviously never going to be the, uh, you know, the, that's never going to be their progress, the government, like any, any form of modern government that is uh, monetarily driven. Yeah, uh, and and Dugan, I know you've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, it, really, it's about faith. So the only reason why money has any value is fundamentally because people have faith in it. And that, that same exact thing applies to the very concept of the state. People only conform to what the state demands because they have faith that the state has power. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, they have it placed in the state when they should be placing it uh, in themselves. Mm-hmm. We've we've given up all these uh, civil liberties and these rights, um, like Dugan says, you know, with your uh, your freedom coupons or giving you the freedom of choice to say, hey, you know, and I know I use this analogy a lot, but you used to milk your cow and now they start making it easier for you to be able to get the milk. And now you get rid of the cow and now you're dependent on on, you know, basically what's put in front of you. And this is all systemic and this, you know, it, it's a trickle down effect. And the milk is just one little small portion of the the greater scheme when it comes down to this. If I may, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, I keep chiming in. But, uh, and, and, you know, Dugan, I've listened no, to a lot of your stuff. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, so um, instead of just talking about the problem um, and you have all talked about solutions, but for the layman, uh, what is a practical solution? I mean, for most people that are living check to check, like myself, how do we get away from the system, from everything that's been established that keeps us dependent? I mean, not being poor is, is the first step, I suppose, but that's easier said than done. How, how do we get out of this? Well, so, so there, Dark, go ahead. Well, um, I mean, I'd love to hear your, your thought on it as well. You know, I, Kind of find, I'm finding some alignment here. Um, you know, part of it is that we talked about, you know, becoming independent and being able to, you know, become self-sufficient, specifically starting with, you know, your most basic human needs. But I find that same alignment with, you know, the people in uh, Chiran. They were going up against a force and a force or forces that have leverage. That leverage, they were about to compromise their you know, fresh drinking water, right, with the logging. And mm-hmm. uh, the moment that they, they saw that in, in their, you know, um, in their future, they, I mean, they said no, right? They fought back. And I think that's what's so powerful because when the force or forces don't have leverage to take your basic human needs, like, we don't have that flexibility. We are so far past that point that we don't have the option to, to say no, unless we, you know, go through all these steps that we're talking about to become prepared. It's the same thing as like, um, you know, when you see, uh, I mean, obviously this happened in, in real life all the time, but you see in movies, right? Like, uh, you know, the guy down the block, like, you know, you need protection in your store, right? You know, uh, um, you know, I'm going to extort you for some money or whatever. Like mafia type stuff, they're, they're, you know, they're, providing something uh, but be, they have leverage right so w- if we or you know 
if individuals could eliminate that leverage and be completely self-sufficient and provide for themselves, then you do have the ability to choose, you know, action or inaction and just say, I'm not, I'm not choosing at all. And I, I just find that kind of fascinating, that alignment there. It's uh it's a, you know, to, to really, to really wrap your head around this, it's uh, it's almost necessary to imagine the macro and then go into the micro. The macro situation is, you know, even for, you know, obviously if there's an autonomous state in somewhere that's in South America and if the government tolerates it, it's because they've judged, they've done a, an algebraic equation, uh, a sociological economic equation. And they've said the cost of uh, stopping this out is greater than the benefit of hitching a ride with it and being like, we're for the people looking at us, we're grossing up. Then in the meantime, what happens, you know, and uh, this isn't specific to this particular locality, but just in, in human uh, pattern. Then what happens is, you know, that that thing bubbles and bubbles, and then the, the, uh, the state will, uh, you know, come back on it when they can. Like when it's, when it becomes, uh, a greater advantage to change that and less costly to change it and that equation balances, then they'll do it. And uh, this is kind of like the, uh, the, the, like when you squeeze one side of the balloon and it poofs up on another side and you have to, you have to have for, for like a true liberty, it does require, you know, it requires, a lot of people. I'm, I'm going to say I, I don't know what it would be, but it requires a majority of the people so that you can't have, uh, you know, breaking off parts parts of this uh, equation to work against the other parts. You know, so it requires like a, a bunch of people to be free and to have what they need, and and to uh, be secure enough to not be able to be manipulated because the the uh, you know the, the 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 paths that are taken to manipulate populations to uh, enforce the state's uh, paradigm. I mean, those are those are entirely driven by people's needs. You know, so like when people need things and the state provides them, and then they sacrifice, just like the milk example. That is the entire uh, mechanism of the way that this happens historically, other than the use of force, you know, like other, other than the use of force, but the use of force can only be used if it's going to win. Like they're not going to do it. They're only going to use it force. That is when it's overwhelming. They're not going to, they're not going to go mono a mono because that's too risky. You know, it's better just to buy time. So the real, the yeah. real, uh, if you go down to the, to the micro, the micro level, the individual level is that, you know, as, as an individual, it has to be, a supplementation because you're not going to be able to just overnight snap your fingers and be free. It has to be a supplementation and the real, uh, like the real, and that, and that sounds really shitty. If you come from a consumer mindset of like, you know, there is nothing, everything's made in China. Everything's brought over here. We don't have any production anymore. I can't go somewhere local and buy this shit. I have to order. It seems insurmountable. The only way that's ever going to be, anything but insurmountable is to gradually supplement. And by doing so, the, the best thing to do is to uh, provide things to other people and defeat the, uh, the, the centralized, distended supply line. 
and whatever it is that people need. And the more that they need it, the greater of a service it is to provide that thing and to provide it cheaper. Or if you can't provide it cheaper, if there's like a high, low price of the item or the product or the commodity, and you can provide an extremely high quality product, but you're doing it way cheaper than what the equivalent would be, then it's like if they have the choice between the shitty product that's brought in or the good product that's the same price, then they're going to choose the good product. And so it's like you can't you can't defeat the force of, uh, you know, the way that people analyze what they need and their resources and what they're going to uh, follow. All that you can do is provide other avenues for them to escape out of it, you know. And the laws have been designed gradually and uh, encroached upon people to eliminate that. And that's what all of the safety and control and shit like that is for. They did that prior to knocking everything out. So they got, they got all the cord the outer cordon set up. So you can't spill out and have, you know, squirmers everywhere. And then after, you know, a couple of decades of uh, bringing that crowd in and everybody forgets what it, what it means to raise a cow, then they start, you know, milking cows in China, you know? And, uh, this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is how they did it. The only way back is to go the other way. You have to go the other way. It's just not like you're going to stop needing fluids. You know, like you're going to need fluids. You're going to need uh, heat. You're, you're going to need power nowadays. So, but the great thing of the the way to look at it is not is not I need all this shit. There's no way uh, to get it. The way to look at it is this is an entirely monopolized, uh, you know, extortion market across everything and it's a massive opportunity to have no middlemen and to uh, provide everything for other people and so if you focus on like one thing and if you provide that then you can start trading then you can start supplementing you start like uh, you know if you produce a, in my in my mind like the quickest and easiest thing chemical chemical synthesis alcohol and fuel and food yep. But food's a little less uh, food's a little less lucrative, but a little easier to get away with. Surprisingly, I would imagine there's not really a model to draw off of, but I would imagine that the fuel isn't going to be on anybody's radar because they don't even know that you can do that. You know, the government like they're not even positioned to address that in mass. And also uh, chemical. Also, right now everybody in the United States is getting their chemical stock from China. China's you know conveniently set up to be the existential enemy of the United States. Sounds like a great opportunity. For people to start, you know, like making making the most valuable chemicals that they can make and then sell them and trade them, but that requires something else, which is a black market, because you're not going to be able to do it with, uh, you know, the monetary system as it is. There's too much regulation, and it's designed. It's it, it's not really designed to tax you. Like they don't give a shit about the money, so you can just print it out of thin air. It's designed for control. And that right. part. So um. So now. Uh, sorry, if I may, uh, in the United States, you know, the, the markets are only so free. Uh, the free market is almost kind of a, a myth. You know, people say, oh, capitalism caused all of this to happen, but that's more like corporatism, right? Um, so black markets is certainly the solution, but that, that in itself is not without coercion. You know, if you're caught not paying taxes on something, they'll, they'll kick down your door with with ARs, you know, loaded up, they've got dogs and everything, and they'll, they'll fucking kill you if you don't pay your taxes and if you resist arrest. So um, black markets, it, it's outstanding. It's a great idea. But 
it's sustainable for only so long, they're going to get weeded out. So uh, someone, an anarchist or libertarian might ask, what about secession? How could we do that? So secession, secession is, is the freedom coupon. That is the, that is the, the idea of, you know, because what are we really talking about here? What we're really talking about in secession is a negotiation between the state power and people that are subjects within the state saying, uh, like, we don't want to, you know, we don't, we don't want to follow. We don't, yeah, will you give us freedom? We don't want to follow your, your tyranny. You know, we don't, don't want to be under it. Well, we already did that. That's how we got the country. And they didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And so I would guess that if we did it again, it would, it would end up with the same result. The, uh, the only the only way to negotiate anything is with actual power and that doesn't mean violence people really uh, kind of uh, misplace that understanding into violence because of the way that we've been trained to be the hammer of the world it's not mm-hmm. violence because when you use violence you're using the tools that they control unless unless you build up a force of you know 10,000 straight up killers and they all you made a little hammer forging machine to turn out your own barrels in a powder factory. Like if you didn't do that, then like you're, you're under the thumb the whole time that you're fighting. And if they're uh, allowing you to do it, it's just, it's simply because they're looking at it from the bird's eye view and they're going, these guys are going buck wild anyway. So let's let them go buck wild. Let's put up, let's put up some right and left brackets to get them into the general funnel zone that we want. And then we'll, you know, we'll figure out where we want this to go and they'll end up being, you know, our, our patrons <laughs> in the end, you know? Yeah. So it's like the, yeah, they'll use it as a tool. The, the, uh, the Bundy ranch situation might be a good example of that. You know, there was uh, DHS and other federal agencies. Uh, and uh, you know, all those uh, good, well-intentioned, mostly well-intentioned folks showed up with rifles and they said, you know, not today, but at the end of the day, I didn't, didn't the state win. You know, yeah. Didn't they gun down the uh, the ranch owner um, in his truck while he was trying to drive away? I think that was his son. Yeah, oh, the okay. separate incident. I I, I can but tell it, you. It, it, I, I can tell you that whatever the outcome was, people here are still not free. You know, I don't know. If, I don't know if the Bundy family has got some heat off their back, maybe. But how long is that gonna last? Like one generation? You know? Yeah. I mean, they're, exactly. Like when their kids come around, they're gonna be like, "Okay, let's see what these kids are made up now." It's just going to come right back, and so it's it's that, and this is kind of what I'm talking about when I when I use the term like you have to have a foundation to stand on. We don't have anything, even though it seems like we have so much. We have no foundation because we don't have anything that we truly own. There's nothing that's separate. Everything is under the domain and control and purview of you know corrupt law, and uh, and it's and it's money system that uses you know provides for its enforcement. So it's, it's absolute. I mean, there is no other than, other than if you can just Gandhi your way out of this, where you, you know, say some magic shit and everybody wakes up, which is probably not going to happen. There's, there's, you have to have the actual physical means to be able to say no and need it and not have it like, okay, you know, because it's just like, it's just like a hostage negotiation. Like, you know, well, that's a terrible example because these hostage takers are fucked up. But, uh, but just to, just to give you the idea, like the, the analogy comes in as like, uh, you know, you got somebody that doesn't want to do something and a bunch of other people that are like, we're going to make you do it. 
So what are they going to do? They're going to shut off. They're going to shut off the power. They're going to shut off the water. They're, they're going to use anything that they have in their hands in escalation of force in order to gain compliance. And the ideal is for you to just decide on your own with your own mind and change your ideals and bend to what the new ideal is and just uh, put up with it. You know, like that's that's the best situation. And that's that's like what I think that's what everybody would prefer. That's in the, like the state ultimately. Like they they want everybody just going with the flow. The only way that you can, uh, you know, if they, you got to be in a situation. We would have to be in a situation to actually resist and have anyone listen to us, where they flip off the power, they flip off the water, and then they're sitting around like, well, should we turn the water back on and see if anybody drinks from it? Because nobody's drinking from this water anymore, <laughs> you know. And they're like, shit. And they're like, well, you got to figure out something else. Yeah. Now, the caveat to that is that once they get to that point, which is a very hard road in the first place for people because it requires a lot of courage and a lot of uh, dedication uh, in a way. Also, also on the other hand, who gives a shit? It's not like you're doing anything better anyways. But once they get to that point where they're uh, not able to be uh, leveraged against, then the state has all the old tools in the back. You know, there's nothing – if they have the force – they don't. If they have the means of force, there is nothing stopping them at that point. Once they've lost you and they can't uh, leverage you anymore, there's nothing to stop them from just coming in and shooting. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's it's a two it's a two uh, you know parallel methods or, or, or like parallel paths of uh, the use of, of the use of force that they can do to to get you to come into compliance. And they both have to be simultaneously juggled, um, but it's the only way. And it's and it's if you the trick the trick to it is the real natural trick. To, so it's low low uh, low energy, uh, you know, naturally uh, manifesting is for it to be widespread, widespread. If everybody's if everybody's on the same page, then it makes it like you can't conduct operations against them because it's like they are everyone, and that is that is pretty much the only realistic way we have to get everybody in the world because it can't just be the United States either because the same situation that I talked about with, uh, you know, where they can get somebody else that's on the tip and have them come after you, you know, give them, a nook, give them some nookie, have them come after you. And then now they're the good guys. That same situation applies on the macro level of nation states. So it's like, this has to be like, ultimately in the long scheme, this has to be a worldwide thing not just something in the, in the United States. So then it's a, a matter of uh, the withdrawal of consent, um, a, a sort of mass non-participation in the systems that foster paradigms of dependence. Yeah, the dependent, the dependence paradigm. It's not, it's a separate, it's a separate matter from participation in society and participation in family and uh, interaction with people and living your lives. That's a totally separate thing. From, I'm going to close down all your stores, and you're going to drink my water. You're going to buy my power. I'm going to run the nuclear power plants. I'm going to, you know, all this stuff being decided over every day. White papers written, new regulatory control coming down the pipe every day. Nobody even knows what it is, unless you're unless you're stuck at a job in one of those uh, niches, and then you see it from your perspective. But there's nobody. There's no. There's no people in the United States standing over that deciding what's what they pass the laws and we just have to do it there's no way there's no way out of it if there, there is an immediate way out of it 
as an individual and you start becoming independent by any means necessary, by any way that you can, then you grow it. And then by trading and talking about it, you get other people to do it. And then everybody else does it. Then that's like your immediate situation coming to, uh, you know, beginning to shape towards resolution. But then once that gets big enough and enough power is lost, now it invites, you know, all of the backlash. And so that's where, like, you, you have to have an expansive chain reaction of uh, the entire world waking up so that a country can't be uh, thrown against another country and vice versa. Uh, it's just, it, it's really easy to see when you consider history. No, and in terms of uh, being as independent as possible, like having a well and not being on city water, um, on, on the subject of firearms, now, of course, violence is, is not, should not be the go-to, but being proficient in violence is important. In terms of independence, uh, casings uh, for, for, for projectiles, right? Uh, there, there's maybe not, there's not a, an oligopoly on brass casings, but ammunition, as everyone knows, is very hard to come by right now. So what about uh, fused deposition modeling or 3D printing of casings? I believe that there have been some contracts issued for polymer casings for like, you know, ammunition in the future. Do you guys know anything about that? And maybe you can get like some of these prolific 3D printer guys on there, like Ivan the Troll, Control Pew. That's a good idea. We're we're looking at we're looking at hosting a uh, couple of people from the 3D printing uh, world. But when you're talking about new casings, are you talking about like the uh, what is it, the 6.8 yeah, the um, uh, new military? Yeah, the new cartridges, the military. Right, right. I, so I, I just wonder if if you know the, the layman can do that. Why can't we make our own cases? Well, we can. We can. It's uh, and that's and that's kind of where you know, it's where especially like like the first thing that has to be done is that the the people that have firearms that are left in the United States, which is less than we think. It seems like everybody, I mean, it is in a way, but we're all in the consumer paradigm. And so we look at the old model, we see that's just the way that it is, and it's, and it's always been that way. And uh, the first step is that people have to understand that there's something dramatically wrong here to be able to uh, get the fire hot enough to, to motivate their, their uh, you know, their mother of invention. And uh, that would get it. And if we could do that, then yeah, not only do I think we could do polymer casings, uh, like stuff where people can produce it in their own, uh, you know, area, like like in their own home. Not only do I think we could do that, I think we could. I think we're close to the transition into uh, like other sources of, uh, you know, propelling projectiles. Of course, there's a, you know, that's a little bit later. We're not there yet, but I, we're approaching that. And I think that uh, I, I definitely think like, uh, you know, I mean, people know about coil guns. And I don't want to get into that. Cause that's just we're just getting off off the ground here. But, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of different ways that we could go. And I think that uh, I think that uh, the conflict that is going to build up and uh, ensue, you know, that's kind of rolling out now is going to uh, like once people get woken up enough and start inventing and figuring out ways to overcome all of the uh, stuff that's staying in their way, I think you'll have an entire, you know, like an entire new, new idea of what, you know, what arms are, I, I, I believe. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, so Doug, basically the way I'm taking it, and this is what we've seen throughout history, is basically whenever we come into trial, tribulation, conflict, turmoil, and people run out of something, we end up discovering, making, or inventing something brand new to be able to help us level the playing field back out again. And I just don't think people have been stressed out enough to be able to well, they, they focus on, on yeah, those endeavors. There, there hasn't been a point of necessity of desperation, right? And they, they say, I um, forgot what, it, what the quote was specifically, but it was like, you know, desperation or necessity is the father of invention or something like that. Um, I, I would also say from, from a, a, you know, in another light that like, I, so think back to like a decade ago, right? Where 3D printers were, you know, almost impossible for the average civilian to, uh, to purchase. And uh, now you can go on and get a uh, Creality Indoor 3 for $157 mm-hmm. right now, right? Um, we uh, were looking into it uh, out of curiosity, right? And uh, we saw that uh, you can actually go purchase... 3D printing uh, machines right now, printers that print uh, Inconel steel mm-hmm. and, you know, crazy, um, you know, um, hybrid uh, metals like aircraft grade metals uh, for about five grand. So mm-hmm. imagine where that's going to be yeah. in five, even 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would likely be just as, you know, accessible, provided that the world doesn't melt between now and Yeah, now. the, the uh, I mean, so, there, there is a, you know, there, there is, we're, we're on like the precipice of, it, it, it all depends, right? Because like Clip was describing about how, you know, we come up with a bunch of shit when we're under stress. The way that's been done historically, at least in the past hundred years, is two world wars. And what that is, is an entire, entirely top-down control, you know, manner where everybody's just like, give them all your bacon grease. Just do it. Don't say anything. And they give them everything. And yep. then they keep all the IP. Now, the, se- the secondary effect of that is that after a few decades, that shit becomes declassified. And the, the people who invent the stuff come out and they're like, well, you know, I want to patent this and pr- pursue some kind of uh, private endeavor in a business, you know, because I, I gave this to the government. Uh, I mean, particularly the, like, World War II had the biggest explosion of innovation that we've ever seen. I mean, we, we you know, obviously we've, we've surpassed that in in technological capability but in terms of the rate of change like the rate of shit just like popping out of the the, the you know the mist that is that is world war ii it was just it was just wild um the big things that came out of that that the public is still not aware of and that i that i talk about all the time and i've got i'm getting i'm getting shit together right now to do a video on it at some point so i could teach people how to do it and get it widespread but you know, the, the, the Fischer-Tropsch process where you use catalytic hydrocracking of biomass to make any fuel that you want. You just, it's like, it's like going to a fountain drink and you're like, I want, you know, this shitty drink or this shitty drink. You just pick one and then it comes out. The, uh, the other one would be like, you know, wood burning cars. That technology was huge in uh, World War II. Um, all that stuff and it's it's all out there all that information is out there but it's very you know like they don't want you to look at that like it's not something that you know nobody talks about they want to they want you to be thinking about like where are you going to get the war oil from 
you know they don't want you they don't want people to know that you can you know the the, the fact of the matter is that we could easily all get together start planting uh you know fields of uh black locust and uh osage orange with like 30 million btu per quarter just for the purpose of harvesting and then you can have communities chopping down trees that regenerate you know and get to harvest harvest size in like seven years and then uh, have a regeneration cycle going and then you take all that and then you just process it into whatever you want like plastics uh you know plastic stock fuels paraffins like all all of the base chemicals everything can be made from the biomass and uh all that technology like all that understanding got invested in and paid for uh, by governments for World War II for the things that they wanted to pull off. And now that stuff is, you know, it, it, it started getting uh, kind of like released in the 60s and 70s. And then now they've, uh, you know, people that are in that field have gone back and looked at it and uh, like continued on with research and they're publishing their research. So all this stuff, you know, they're now at an understanding where this stuff is like, I mean, it's at the it's at people's fingertips. They just have no idea that it's there because they can't see what it looks like. They don't know what a huge benefit is because they've never seen it. Here's here's one thing that I I just want to add. Speaking of World War II, we have something that we have in mainstream society called uh, planned obsolescence, <laughs> meaning after a month, three months, six months, a year, five years whatever you own is going to break down or need to be repaired. When we were going through a World War II, every single freaking piece of equipment and machinery produced was built at such high standards and quality because they didn't know how long the war was going to last. These uh, lathes, drill presses, uh, generators, uh, you name it, back from that era are like are still in, in yeah, production still or are still in use today. And the the government, I want to say it was in the 60s and 70s, they were trying to go around to be able to um, basically shit can all those pieces of hardware. But, you know, good luck doing that. They didn't do a good job, but they were making a very big effort on getting rid of all of those things. Uh, it, it, I'd like to chime in on there, too, um, and just, especially before we get too sidetracked. Uh, so this is on the same general subject of sustainability. Uh, you know, black locust, Osage George, biofuel, uh, Dugan, or anyone really, could you go into more detail about Wildcore? Like, how does someone, someone listening, how do they get involved? Where is it? Uh, can you just explain a little yeah, more yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll, like, I'll be, I'll be straight up with it. So, so right now, you know, it's essentially a paper entity that is pending its uh, IRS recognition uh, to be a, to be a nonprofit. So, so right now it is like locked in a box and just like bursting with, you know, vibrating with energy, waiting to burst out of the box. And uh, it, it's chartered in Montana. It's got, it's got uh, dudes. There's, there's dudes from all over the place. Uh, you know, Dark is uh, involved at the administrative level of it. The, uh, the, the whole thing, the whole idea, it, it's a very multifaceted um, concept. It has facets that are both, uh, sociological, economic, and also just for people's sanity. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge to all of the uh, traditional notions that people have and take for granted uh, that end up getting them into tight spots. The sociological idea of it, or I guess I should say 
for the for the for the um, like the leisurely idea of it would be like the, the food source. So the idea of it is is you have uh, you use a pro wild core, and it's not it doesn't have to be limited to wild core. There could be plenty of supplemental and parallel organizations that partake in this to expand it all over the world. After you know, like if it, if it gets started, they get a chance to see it, and people uh, decide whether or not it's worthwhile or not. But the concept is, you take the present economic paradigm, which is virtually the same everywhere in the world. It's based off the same models, meaning that most of the laws in uh, IRS are written a certain way, and they and they merely change language most of the time. The actual beans and bullets of you know what's there at the heart of it is mechanically practically identical in all of the nations that are under control of the banks. And uh, this is because the system, uh, like in, in the United States, we have IRC, it's actually designed to be predatory. You know, and people, aren't, people aren't aware of that. Uh, I'm sure that people that are like really into tax code have an idea of that. But, but the, uh, so, so using that framework, the, uh, the traditional idea of uh, a nonprofit is uh, kind of a misnomer because it's really, it's more of like a negative economics uh, revenue model where you're using uh, tax tax break incentive and uh, like negative currency, you know, like negative money, like your taxes that you would owe mm -hmm. end up being the fuel for for like the entity to exist. Now the entity, the, the nonprofit has, ha it makes the most sense because you can't have a, uh, a for-profit model because number one, it's not perpetual. Whereas a nonprofit can be set up legally to be perpetual, meaning that if the staff dies, if everybody gets hit by a bus, whatever, it has to either get new leadership or it has to transfer to something that provides for its continued uh, tax exempt function to continue. And the way that the government looks at that from a legal sense is that they agree to uh, give you the, the exemption recognition because you're providing some kind of service to humanity that they couldn't provide or that if they did provide, it would be entirely too expensive, expensive. And they're relying on the need of the people to, uh, you know, come up with a way to do this. But. So, uh, uh, sorry to cut you off. Uh, could you fundamentally explain uh, to the listeners what will wild core? Yeah. So, do? so in this, in this, in this uh, jacked-up model of the way that we have predatory economics, it finds a seat in that in that game of musical chairs. It then takes land that someone would have, like let's say that you live in a state with a bunch of people that own land that they're just constantly having to pay taxes on and that they would love to sell, but nobody wants to go there because they all want to live in cities or whatever, and these are just like fields. So Wildcore takes the land that they're trying to sell anyway that they would normally be, uh, you know, required to pay, uh, you know, a 20, near 25% uh, tax, a capital gains tax. Because it's a nonprofit entity, the, the wild core can receive it, purchase it through the Treasury Department, right, because it's approved by the government. The person gets the fair market value of their land, whatever that is, so the, the Kelly Blue Book price of their land. They keep their extra, what, what they would have paid for capital gains, they make an additional profit for their land that, they, that they're selling now that they couldn't even sell to anybody because it's just a field out in the middle of nowhere. The wild core does that all over the United States with certificates of authority in every state. 
And then the people that live in that area are, uh, you know, come in with advisors and then a, a tree planting program gets made. Ideally how the trees start, at least in like the beginning would be that these are food trees. Uh, they're, they're going to provide, it's going to be like a calorie basis. Like how many people are going to be in here? We need to have that many calories. That way, if you have some kind of catastrophic natural disaster, catastrophic war, whatever, mm -hmm. people can at least go in there and get their calories. And that can be trees. It could be water with fish. It could be uh, anything that doesn't require a uh, hemorrhaging payment to people to uh, sustain it. So something that's like very hands-off, regenerative trees that last hundreds of years and reseed themselves and that are uh, so thick that you can't cut them down or burn them down. The, uh, these areas, how they would work in terms of public interface is that people during, uh, like, you know, if we, if they just existed right now, it would look like you'd, it'd be really similar to a national park. You'd walk into it. The difference is you would be able to pick nuts and fruit from the tree. Okay. Now in terms of, uh, like what you do with that, right. That stuff, that's gotta be, you know, more fleshed out after the initial model comes along. Because there's all kinds of like if you took nuts and you were, you know, trying to go take them and sell them or something, that's now you're getting into economics. That's not the tax exempt purpose. So it brings in a whole host of other issues. So it, you have, it has to be a situation where you're just mm -hmm. there, seeking sanctuary, eating nuts, camping, whatever. You take out all your stuff with you when you go, but you can stay there as long as you want. You're not going to get kicked out, right? And uh, there's so many. The other thing that I hear all the time is like, well. Are they just going to all be homeless camps? Not all of them. Probably a lot of them where there's a bunch of homeless people. And what, what needs to happen is if you have, a, you know, the, the beauty of it is this is not, it's, it's an investment by the United States government. Instead of investing in NGOs that are going to destroy your country, uh, launching socialist attacks all over your cities, burning everything down, instead of that, you're planting a bunch of trees and the trees stay there forever and the people can use it. So, you know, you would plant more forests than what homeless people could fill up. And that's where, you know, that's where the beauty of it comes in. Ideally, they would be within walking distance outside of every city. So like every city where its boundary ends and there's no more real estate being developed and, uh, you know, there's there's unused land that has a tax liability. Those are the prime pieces of land that can give, you know, absolute sustenance to the to the populations there and uh an entire third rail of life of like the type of property that uh you know a people can enjoy it's uh it's it's somewhere near like you know it's a public trust it's a uh, uh a completely radical concept but it doesn't just end with with food trees where this can go is like we're talking about fuel so it can go into the into the you know idea of I want to go on a trip. I want to drive across the country. It would normally cost me 500 bucks or whatever. What I'm going to do is go down to the, to the wild core fuel center, which is just a giant forest <laughs> with a processing plant. I'm going to go to the wild core fuel center. And what I do is I, I plant, uh, you know, 300 trees in a day. It takes me four hours. I'm going to get like assigned to me. I get, you know, 500 gallons of fuel from trees that have already been processed but I plant 500 trees and then those are going to grow up on their own with rain. It's going to take them, you know, seven to 15 years 
but this has all been accounted for. And so by you doing the little bit amount of work, you're going to amplify. This is the true profit model where the you know existence, reality, is going to grow your trees while you're out driving around, going about your life, and you already made your purchase through trade of labor for these trees that are now getting cut down. And then you're going to have somebody else who wants to go driving around. They want 500 gallons of fuel, and they're going to be processing tree pulp as biomass to break it down and do hydrocarbon cracking, and catalytic reformation to turn it into kerosene, diesel, gasoline, whatever. So I, I absolutely love this idea. And uh, a skeptical person would ask you, what kind of enforcement mechanism would you have in place to make sure that Billy Bob doesn't roll up in there with all his buddies and just steal everything? Oh, am I still, you still with me? All right, I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah we're Dugan, still here. there. You got okay. me? Uh, did you hear the question, Dugan? Yep. How far, yeah, how far back to the... How far back did that cut out? This question was. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't get it. Oh, we heard everything. He yep. asked you a new question. Uh, so, you know, someone listening in on this might might ask you this question. Uh, what would be the enforcement mechanism to make sure that Billy Bob doesn't roll up with all his buddies and just steal as well, much as Well, okay. They can? So you're talking about fuel? Uh, fuel, you know, taking all your nuts. I mean, and, and yeah. I'm not trying to make funny. I, I love this idea and I would like to participate to participate, but yeah. How, how do you keep, you know, the, the things that are growing, how do you keep that sure. secure? From, well, the from real, the real, like the, the honest, true answer, which is, which is kind of counterintuitive is that you produce so much that it don't, wouldn't even matter if somebody stole the But in the transition phase, before you get there, that will definitely be an issue, right? especially if things go through hard times, especially with fuel in terms of uh, nuts. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know how much energy you want to use to like stop somebody from climbing a tree and like stealing nuts out of a sanctuary. But, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you can, you certainly can because that is like, that is the rules. And if they break the rules, then it's like, you know, like they're, they're going to get kicked out, you know? And if they don't get kicked out, I mean, the entire way that it functions mm -hmm. legally is that it's at it's it's within the framework of the current legal system. So, like, if somebody's in there burning down trees and stealing mm -hmm. nuts and stuff, and you kick them out, they have to leave. If they don't leave, like, they're subject to the entire system as it is now. The difference is, the forests don't right. fall down like our cities when everything goes to shit. The forests stay. You know what I mean? And we plant we plant so many of them mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. if even if an army rolled through a nation, and they're gonna torch everything. They're going, to just, they're going to have a really hard time dropping in enough bombs. They're going to be they're going to be using a lot of be like burning down an entire country, you know, ideally. So it's it's kind of like uh, and plus at the same time it's like all that stuff that people would say that these things that could happen. This is all happening now, and they're not nuts, and they're not, you know, all this stuff already happens. So it's not like you're going to prevent people from making uh, terrible decisions. You're just you're just providing an additional avenue where you're not in a paradigm and it forces what's really interesting about it sociologically is that once it's functioning and it's up it's it's gonna it's gonna put all of the state power on a pivot because on one hand they have to placate to the idea that these are just force like the people want force these are force and now they're here and so they have to tiptoe around that reality and say like well, what what will we have why would we want anything at all 
to do with a natural force, you know, that's just growing trees. Like, what, what do we have? You know, what will we possibly have against that? You know, but it's easy to see that somebody eventually, if they're big enough, will have an issue with it. And it exposes the reality of the, the disposition between power and the, and the powerless. Even though, even though it's something that's not gold, it's not, uh, it's not some kind of lucrative resource, if the people make it, make it a resource, and if it pulls them away from the power of the state, uh, it, creates, it creates a problem, right? And uh, that's definitely going to happen eventually. But at this point, I'm sure if you told that to a politician, they'd just laugh at you because they're not going to be able to conceptualize the reality of this or how destabilizing it will be to the, to the world you know, in terms of uh, providing power to people and uh, needs to people and taking that away as a uh, monopoly from the state. If nothing else, just at the bare minimum. You know, like maybe, maybe you won't be, uh, maybe it's not going to like make you rich or uh, make you, uh, you know, solve all of your problems. But when you're standing around there with your empty pockets and you're like, I would like to go on a road trip, or if you're, uh, you know, driving around and you're like, I don't even want to, I'm so sick of McDonald's and Burger King, I don't want to stop anywhere. Where's the, where's the wild car? I'm going to go eat apples and nuts, you know, or whatever, or hunt, or whatever. Go get some fish. I'm going to go eat trout, you know. You could, you'd be able to do all of this stuff. Yep. So, yeah, and I think that there'd be a, a very different because, uh, you know, I, I've kind of developed the idea of, you know, what like uh, what we'll call it a, a park uh, would look like. And, you know, the, the concept of, of what it would look like in, you know, full effect uh, would be very different in like the world that we live in now versus the like a world without rule of law. You know, so I, I could picture like in a world without rule of law, um, you know, more security, uh, amongst, uh, other things. Um, but I also, you know, two things, want it to be a place of sanctuary where people could come, where it is so plentiful that if people did come and just load up, uh, it just wouldn't even make a dent. Like it so plentiful that it just would not even, you know, have any impact on the uh, amount of food that we can share in the same the, 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 um, yeah. you know, like yeah, in terms sense. of the security angle, you know, like, like Dark was saying, you know, if, if you had a, he used the term like uh, without rule of law, rule of law. I mean, in that, in that situation, if there's nobody in a forest, no security is needed, right? Because if, if, if nobody's in the forest and if somebody goes in there, that's like, you know, a bad guy, whatever term you want to use, they're in there up to no good. Well, they're in there up to no good in a forest with a bunch of trees by themselves. So there's no problem. If there's a bunch of people in there, if there's a bunch of people in there <laughs> seeking sanctuary, then they, you know, they have to provide their own security. Yeah. And they, that is within their interest. And that's fully within the law. It's already within the law mm -hmm. now. You know, so, uh, you know, that, that would be a, a, a person that is seeking sanctuary. That is their, that is their prerogative. But it's not some, you know, if, if, you know, if anybody's thinking that there's some kind of situation where there's guards or something, there's, there's no guards. It's the people, it's whoever's using, whoever's utilizing, when they need to utilize it, they can provide their own security. You know, we can't, we, we can't yeah. like pay some kind of security force. They would just become corrupt. You know. Yeah. 
Now, regarding like the uh, aspect of, you know, how people could get involved, like, uh, you know, like Dugan said right now, like while we're waiting on uh, the uh, status from the IRS, I mean, we're essentially neutered, right? So um, we're, you know, waiting. I love the, the description of just like, with so much energy, just like vibrating in a, in a box, like waiting, because this, this could blow up and be huge, even just with the, you know, small community we have uh, um, here. But um, it, when the time comes, we need volunteers, we need land, we need money. And a, a project like this could carry itself uh, with the right people. And I think with, you know, having us just constantly sharing the truth and um, just I think a project like this could um, um, just build itself and the right people will be attracted and it will and there's uh, we'll get exactly what we need. So I, I did hear uh, I heard before that you said it's going to be on private land. What are the pros and cons of, of wild core operating on private yeah, land so, versus so the, federal land? Pros, no cons. So the private the private by, by it being a uh, a uh, non governmental organization. It, uh, it, it, it provides a lot of uh, strengths that wouldn't normally be afforded to a for-profit business. The, the, real, the real way that for-profits get under control and lose their autonomy and why, why we are a you know, corporate bureaucratic state that, that started from a bunch of uh, smart businesses and people just trying to provide something that's useful. You know, I, yeah, I hear you. Can yes. anybody hear me? Yep. No, you're good. So the, the okay, uh, my bad. I thought you know, I dropped out for a second. Within within the uh, within the framework of of a uh, of a nonprofit doing this, they get all kinds of uh, of uh, leeway because it's a public trust because it's a it's it requires the participation of the public to to exist, you know. And if it's not there, if there's no interest, then it just doesn't exist. So so there's uh. Uh, a ton of strengths. There's uh, the, in terms of the land, in terms of like private land versus uh, uh, like state land. If it's state land, obviously you don't have any control. Like any time they can cut it off. Any time they can repurpose. You can't do it on a BLM land. And if you do private land, mm -hmm. it's private. You know, and the 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 legal entity because it operates in perpetuity by the uh, like the legal construction. It's it's good to go forever. Like you can't, you can't within the like within the bylaw, of, you know, within the charter of a uh, like a corp, a nonprofit corporation. There's all kinds of crossover mechanisms where you can't like take it, and turn it into like a Ford plant or something like that. You can't take it, and turn it into like an Amazon, you know, production facility or something because it's a public good. It has to stay a public good. You can't just like sell it off. It either it either dies and nobody does anything with it, and it, then it. In that case, that would uh, like transfer to the state, or it has to perpetuate, and it and it must go the perpetuation route first. It only goes the state route if there's no other alternative, and that's done by a by like a court order by by a judge. A judge will rule on it. Meaning, there's nobody left on the board. Uh, nobody left being part of any of the executive branch and, of the Wild War uh, for them to be able to manage or maintain it. And, 
It's just like yeah, if somebody no, were to no pass away without any uh, if children, have, if you have and like a nature state, reserve or something like that, they would be they would be asked by the state to take over. You know, if it was if it was an actual, you know, public service uh, corporation. So, so that ties in perfectly. That that whole explanation about Wildcore that ties into what we were talking about. Um, not so much black markets, but just yeah. sustainability. Yeah, and it, it really gives you a third leg, you know. Because right now, if you if you look right. at the, the unfortunate thing about high velocity capitalism is that you know it swallows up everything. So everything has to be constantly owned, developed, turned over, sold, changed, exploited. Like it's just constant, right? And the only the only other thing that you have that's you know anything close to this would be like BLM land, you know, a national forest and like that, and that's completely under the purview of like everybody knows all the natives that come along. The the crazy thing about this is that you're using the, the private entity that is normally used basically for profit, even though it's a nonprofit. Uh, it's used for like an actual public good that goes to the public and that is maintained by the public at their you know they volunteer to do if they want. Yeah, people are less likely to allow uh, something like this to get stolen away from them, especially when it benefits them so uh, so much. Yeah, you know what I mean. There, there's a difference between you know your your municipal uh, water or you going over and you know picketing in front of your your local grocery store. Uh, if you're able to produce. Uh, a fire uh, or you know fuels for fire fuels for cars generators whatever it may be and also food and this is all for the people supported and backed by the people and it pays directly out to the people people are not going to allow this to uh to get taken over or manipulated yeah. they will stand there and they and will, you won't have if they have the, to the, they will the, put up a fight a huge, for it. imagine That's imagine a right totally sweet national park that you could go into. And the difference is that this national park got made on barren land. It got developed by volunteers. Not only, not only that, all the trees that are, that are beautiful to be standing under and walking through and doing whatever it is that you're doing usually in your, while you're, while you're in sanctuary, they all provide food. So if you're there in season of whatever the crop, the crops are that are on the trees, you can just eat from, you know, you can make a campfire. You can set up a tent or whatever. You can't build a 10-story apartment building. That's not going to work. You can't do that. You can't build a, uh, you know, like a permanent shack or something like that. But you can set up a tent. You can set up a tarp. You can set up an area. You can camp. You can go fishing. Yeah, you can, uh, yeah, you, you, can you can really get away. And you're not going to have any police coming through their patrol. Why? It's private. This isn't government land. This is private land. And that's not the purpose. Uh, so I, I love to go full circle in conversations, um, you know, in, in terms of subverting the state, uh, in, in a sense, you're kind of using the state to not, not subvert the state itself so much as systems of dependence. Wildcore is exactly the kind of solution that we need yeah, and it, for and this it, type of uh, it really it, it takes the vehicle that is designed uh, to exactly. be used against you and to swallow everything up. And it says, OK, I see how it is. Well, we're going to do this. And as long as people 
participate in it and make it happen. And that will be fueled by the economic model because of the economic engine of a nonprofit and how it works with, with tax breaks because we're dealing with negative economics here. We're, not, we're, we're dealing with people that are going to have a tax liability because of the amount of money that they're making in the for-profit industries that they're a part of, looking for a way to purge that tax liability so they don't have to pay it. And so they go through nonprofits. And then once we're certified, yeah. it becomes its own fuel to, to keep on going. So the people that are dumping money on it create the economic energy for it to start going out and looking and uh, you know paying volunteers if necessary or buying trees or whatever it is that those guys are going to do. The, the people provide that energy, but not out of like, you know, it's not like a hidden thing. It's a, it's a this makes economic sense here. And then likewise, same thing for the land. The land, all the places that they'll be building on will be places that people are sitting on paying paying uh, property tax every year. And they're like, I wish I could just get rid of this. Uh, I know that it's worth money. Nobody will buy it. I've been trying to sell it for 10 years. But I know I think somebody's going to buy it eventually. And a wild court comes along, buys this piece of barren land, takes people with agricultural knowledge and uh, an entire network of people set up and just – completely transforms it into something that is, uh, you know, locally advantageous to the climate that's going to provide the maximum amount of calories, the maximum amount of uh, wind shelter and erosion shelter, and uh, is going to bring out backhoes, probably probably do, like, explosive pond building, honestly, so we can throw up a bunch of huge bodies of water, like, overnight, and uh, fill them full of, stock them full of fish, make them large, large oh, enough yeah. to regenerate, and... Uh, all of that will be done with the with the prior landowner getting the full market value of what their property was that they couldn't sell sell in the first place, plus an extra, you know, I mean it depends on the location, but you know, probably like twenty four percent on top of what they would have sold it for if they sold it privately. Hey, we gotta jump in and highlight something. Um Dugan, you think it's appropriate to talk about that crazy super dope uh, self-regulating, self-sustaining uh, fish pond yeah, sure. that you mentioned? Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different models. I just thought that there's was a so bunch cool. of different models that you can do. The easiest ones to start off with, depending, I mean, it all depends on the, the, you know, the climate where you're at. But the easiest one, obviously, if we're talking like the middle of the continental United States, you, you automatically like, you know, a catfish pond is super easy. If you want to go to something a little bit better, you can do, you can do trout. You can even do salmon. If if the water is deep enough and if you're using systems that are providing for them to swim, to, to jump stream, to lay eggs, and you have a, uh, an incline or a decline, rather, like on a hill, you can put in really deep lakes. You can use uh, like a uh, like a trump pump, like massive trump pump systems that both aerate and then use, use the air pressure to pump water back up into the uh, back up into the first pond. And then you create a spillway in between them that, fun- that you line with rock functions exactly like a uh, like a like a natural stream. It doesn't require any power. It uses the energy that's carried in the water that gets charged by gravity as it falls down. The water as it drops into the trunk pumps, which are basically like big tube vessels that we install that uh, will degrade, and they'll 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 collect um, they'll entrain air. And this is actually this is a it's, it's the same thing as an air compressor. The difference is that you're not you're, you're going to have no heat generation, so it's, it's far more efficient. 
And then you can take that that air and you can put it anywhere else. You can have it. You can have some of it spill out uh, and uh, aerate the water so that so that it's fully oxygenated. So that your uh, like reproduction is really good. Your, your uh, aquatic life is going to be really strong. Uh, you can you can take other fractions of it and you can redirect it to push water back up like through a pipe. And all of this is done without electricity. The system comes from. Uh, I found it through a uh, like a, uh, uh, a DNR project that was like a novel DNR project with this guy that he unfortunately passed away. But before he went, he came up with, this, with employing a trump pump to uh, uh, decontaminate uh, mining ponds. So he's, he's going around using this because of the uh, aeration and separation effect. It naturally uh, takes heavy metals and separates them out of water. And so DNR was using it. The other system that this was used in would be in the uh, the Taylor mines up in Canada, which operated from uh, like the early 1900s until like I think they closed down in like 1980, in continuous operation the entire time without a single day down. Now these were uh, mining operations, and what he was doing was uh, taking waterfall in Canada from from literal waterfalls, and then he was digging chambers underground to let the water spill into and then pass through. And then he was collecting the air and he made a giant underground pressurized air reservoir that was so high in PSI and so high in cubic feet that they could run an entire international mining, mining operation that never shut down with pneumatics the entire time for 70 plus years. Wow. It's called the uh, it's called the Taylor the Taylor the Taylor mine T A Y L O R. Uh, they're in, they were in uh, Canada. They were super super unique and uh, really awesome. They're, they're awesome to check out. The system the system is called a Trump pump. And that's T T as in Tango R O M Mike P E. Thank you for covering that. Outstanding. And I, I heard, uh, yeah. could we shift gears a, a little bit? Please. Uh, so now, um, Go for I mean, it. this wild core thing is, is fascinating and I, I want to participate in this. Absolutely. Um, and of course uh, I'm very interested in firearms and, and, and self-sustainability. So I, you guys mentioned you wanted to get yeah. Cody Wilson on the podcast, right? Yes, we've talked about it. We're 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 in works to Outstanding. get him on. Okay, I, I don't have a follow up question. I just want to know. I'm looking forward to that episode. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm so <laughs> I, I hope you can get Cody Wilson on and some of these prolific uh, 3D printing guys. I mean, you know, violence should not be a go to. But again, I, I reiterate, uh, proficiency in violence is still paramount. Uh, should the need unfortunately arise. Uh, so yeah, that that would be great if you guys could get him on. I don't know if he's making public appearances these days. Uh, yeah, that would be great. He he's more important, I think, to be on the podcast than I am. I just made a, a shitty film. No, I think. <laughs> no, your your film was definitely uh, it was definitely an eye opener and can be a groundwork for people to understand that you can break away from the system. And if they ever have to come back to the point where the government says it's worth our while to go in there and take it back over, you know what? They've had their independence and they're going to fight for it. They are going to fight for, for everything under the sun 
to be able to keep what they have because they're not going to want to let it go. When you when you finally find your independence and your freedom and you actually fought for it, that's something where you're going to fight harder than anybody else has ever fought for. Look at, um, you know, the guerrilla soldiers in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever, whatever mm-hmm. conflict. I know you've been over there. I was over there in, in the naval uh, fleet. So I very rarely ever had boots on the ground, but it was always humanitarian uh, reach. Uh, but you see how they fight. You know, they're fighting a multi-trillion dollar nation and nations, and they're still holding their ground. And we have superior technology. So once people finally get that independence, they're not going to let it go. But be as dangerous as you possibly can be. So I, I wanted to add something to that. Willing uh, and able so so to come what we're talking about, your about the potential future mm-hmm. of uh, it's really the, the future of all people, you know, because it's not it's not limited just to the United States. Although although we do have a focal point here, the uh, the thing that is different about this potential future from uh, other models in the past is that if we can cross this uh, catharsis and threshold of uh, self actualization as people and and come up with systems, do all the legwork to have stuff that works, that provides for ourselves, it makes it very difficult for that technology to go away. Especially now with the uh, like the, the way that we can share information, it makes it like if we can spill out and break out of this box, it's gonna be really hard to put everybody back in the box, even through conventional like brute force. Because the technology will exist and will be known, because there will be, you know, PDFs floating around that say, hey, you want to make fuel, you do this. You want to, you know, make your water, you do this. This works great for this capacity, this number of people, this size, family, whatever. And uh, have scalable systems that are just put out in the public so that people can uh, get independent. Once those are out there and there's a track record of how they work, people have seen them work, especially if they've used them, people in society to use them all. They're not going to forget. And so it's once they come back and they're like, we need to shut this down. I mean, how do you shut down somebody that, you know, all that you have to do is not be found at that point. You know, like if you can't, if you can't be readily located, what's to stop you from just implementing all of these sustainable systems that we're talking about. And that's kind of the beauty of the future. Yeah. And, and that's, that's precisely why, you know, I, I went, I, I came about in, in such, a, such a juxtaposed way, you know, from a, a Marine Corps infantryman to hopefully a documentary filmmaker, I guess I am technically now, uh, but the, the transference or transmission of information is absolutely paramount. If people don't know that there are alternative solutions to these systems of dependence, or if they, if they don't know that, uh, that there's a, a damn war going on or several wars going on on the other side of the planet, on behalf of, of our empire, uh, then how can they be expected to do anything about it? How can they be, how can they be expected to, to um, participate in long-term sustainable solutions to these systems of dependence? I want to make films providing solutions to these problems and shedding light on You want to help those guys when they, when they get their wild core launch. This should be really soon. It should be like very soon. When they get their approval and they start doing their first projects, I'm sure that, I mean, I would talk to him and see if you can get uh, on the ground there and, uh, like, uh, you know, probably I mean, just film the whole thing, you know, make whatever you want. 
Uh, nothing would please me more. Awesome. Brother, we, we're definitely going to want to have For you sure. to, to be a part of it. I mean, we like what you've already done. We like your, your, um, we like everything that you're putting out and you're saying essentially. Um, so, I mean, we would like to be, you know, bring you on board for certain things. If you have questions, if you have uh, any ideas or if you want to uh, document, you know, these things as they happen, you know, we'll definitely uh, keep you in the loop and let you know what's going on. And, Absolutely. That uh, we'll sounds go good. After this podcast, uh, we'll, we'll have to, ensure a mechanism of uh, maintaining communication so so we can make that happen you have me uh and i'm pretty much uh i play the secretary the scheduler the host of everything and i just try to be able to bring as many people on board uh with uh different talents different skills and viewpoints to hopefully build up a community of people that uh, we can all pull from and uh, help each other out. So you you got my information. We can we can always uh, connect and I'll. Hell yeah, that sounds good. And uh, bef- before we go any further, uh, you were saying that this podcast on, on this app that we're using it tends to the audio yeah, tends to degrade there. after some time, right? Are we at that point? Um, I would. I would say if we end the podcast and we pick it up right now, it'll give us crystal clear I don't know audio. If, I can do if you, I don't know uh, if, I can if do everybody is willing to carry on, sure. I could do a little minutes. bit. <laughs> I think. Okay. I think one of the things well, that we should do is uh, just to make sure that we're being purposeful about sharing the Spotify links as opposed to the anchor links, because Spotify seems to be. 100 I, I saw it. it was jacked unless up. you guys have found something different i listen i tried to listen to a spotify it was it was out of sync the one that i listened to. uh you know what i've heard that yeah it's odd sometimes it's out of sync and then i close it down refresh and go back in oh, and then i didn't i didn't give it a i didn't give it a perfect. second chance it's kind of strange i would like to like to do more than that. Did you hit the machine? <laughs> Did you smack it, Doug? If only technology yeah. was still like that. <laughs> you know you got to hit yeah. it at least two or three times. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, oh, uh, I, I will say, just bringing up the whole abusing technology, there was uh, the Xbox when you would get the red ring of death. Um, I repaired it with um, some heat sink lube um electrical tape and like four pennies and then i did another repair on it and i kept this thing like hobbling along for years it finally gave up the ghost and um brought it over to a uh, a nice country party and i set it up right by the bonfire and i want to say at least uh 15 20 good old boys got to pull out you should have har- you should have harvested all the sent uh, that uh, microsoft you know, product to uh, that's all good stuff <laughs> Missed the opportunity there. I I agree with you. I got a, I got a whole motherboard. Anytime I see a computer being dumped on the side of the road, I uh, pull out the motherboard, hard drives, stuff like that, because you can use the hard drives as um, uh, external hard drives, uh, capacitors. I have a motherboard sitting right next to me, all the fans. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit of a pack rat. I like my electronics and 
I like the ability to know that I have capacitors and relays uh, for any future tech pro, uh, tech things that I want to do. Awesome. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, I do have to eat dinner pretty soon. The uh, girlfriend's waiting for me. Uh, it has been an honor and an absolute privilege. Uh, and and if, if you need another guest in the future, if, if you ran hey, out of ideas, so uh, feel free to Good let talk. me know. I'd be happy to come on again. Perfect. All right. Likewise. All right. Uh, we're going to give you the opportunity. Yeah, just on the spot. The just whatever comes oh, to, to name this podcast. Okay. There we go. Oh, oh yeah. Wild Core. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That is that's it. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for being on here and being a guest. And um Later. we we looked uh All right, outstanding. Sounds good. Thank you future. very much. Excellent.